Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow, and this is a public affair. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It's National Library Week, and here on A Public Affair, we are celebrating by welcoming back one of our favorite former librarians, Barbara Alvarez. She is she joined us earlier this year to talk about book bans, abortion access and libraries. And today we get to have her back on to talk about her very own book, The Library's Guide to Sexual Sexual and Reproductive Health Information. Introduces the basic concepts of sexual and reproductive health as a human right and provides libraries with solutions to provide that information to patrons. Barbara Alvarez is an instructor in library and information sciences and a PhD student in information science at UW-Madison. She is a former librarian in Wisconsin and Illinois. Her forthcoming book is The Library's Guide to Sexual and Reproductive Health Information. Barbara, how are you today? Hi, thank you so much for having me and for the warm welcome. It's great to be back. Oh, it's always like such a gift to get to talk to you. And this is such your book is such a gift to the world at this moment. Um, It's it's you know, it was it felt very hopeful to see you kind of embrace medically accurate, inclusive um, sexual health information for, for folks, particularly for young folks right now. Why did you want to write this book and what did it take um, for you to write and publish a book like this? Well, thank you so much for those comments. Um, I, uh, I've worked in public libraries for about eight years, and libraries, particularly public libraries, they do a lot of uh, community collaborations, including health programs and health initiatives. It is not far off for public libraries to do health initiatives. For example, I worked at a library in the Milwaukee area where we became a dementia-friendly library, and we provided services and programs for people with dementia and their caregivers and staff were trained on how to work with folks who have dementia. We partnered with organizations, including the Milwaukee County Department on Aging for expert advice. And I just don't see sexual and reproductive health information as anything different than Uh, other health information. I mean, why should this be excluded from the multitude of ways that libraries already are doing health partnerships and health information sharing? This is also especially important because sexual and reproductive health in the United States has been, you know, under under attack for a long time. And the last couple of years has been extremely politicized and disenfranchised so many more people, even more so than they already were. And so to me, it just seemed like public libraries already do health partnerships, share health information, sexual reproductive health information should not be excluded from that. In fact, it's actually needed more than ever. And also public libraries, all libraries, but especially public libraries are really unique in being third spaces Um, where people can come and seek information uh, from a variety of places without having to pay some membership or anything like that. So uh, I think this is a really important time for libraries to provide this information. And I just hadn't seen any of those conversations being had. Did you feel like when you were creating this book that you knew you were going to be creating something that would be controversial. Um, This book has a real commitment to accuracy. It has a real commitment to inclusivity. um, And that those, you know, medically accurate human growth and development has become incredibly controversial. Inclusive conversations around sexuality, um, particularly conversations that include trans, non-binary, LGBTQ folks, um, have become really politicized. Did you have any fear that you were kind of jumping into a a very partisan, uh, very um, controversial, you know, fight and climate? Well, you know, it it is the truth that medically accurate information and facts are considered controversial now. And I did have um, 
you know, I've been doing this research and this work since about 2019. And I started writing the book in 2021. 20, no, 2022, 2021. I can't, time's a blur right now. Like you're but, a fast um, writer. I had, <laughs> I had uh, surveyed public librarians throughout the country about um, the sexual and reproductive health information that they do or do not provide. I sent that survey out from May, from March until May of 2022. That's before the Supreme Court repealed Roe v. Wade. And I got 179 responses from 12 different states. And a lot of the responses were from library professionals who said they support sexual reproductive health information, uh, but that they were afraid about the backlash they would get from the community as well as not having support from their board or from their administrators. Some said that they were afraid of losing funding. And that was before the Supreme Court decision June. So I, I had gotten a, an idea of what librarians were already feeling. And I think if anything, it's just gotten heightened. So yes, I've been aware that this is unfortunately a controversial because it's not controversial. I mean, to me, the, these we're talking about evidence. We're talking about facts. We're talking about medically accurate information. That's not controversial. In it's politicized, is what it is. And mm. so, when I um, when I was writing, the, I, I purposely held off on the chapter about reproductive health, specifically about abortion, because I knew that if I wrote that chapter too soon, it was going to become, I was going to have to rewrite it again. So I was waiting for the Supreme Court decision to write that chapter. And the, you know, I mention um, anti-trans bills in the book, and I talk about how they're ramping up. And I mention, you know, uh, bills that are being introduced in Florida. I mean, I, I could add a whole other section about that, because we have over 400 anti-trans bills now and many that have been enacted. So in some respects, you know, while writing this, I was very much aware of how this is politicized. And now that it's published, it's like we could just continue on and on and on because it's continuing to be politicized. Mm. Thank you so much for, for speaking to that. And I very much appreciate you saying like this is this isn't controversial. It's not actually, you know, I, I think sex and sexuality are a normal part of of human life and of all of the life of all creatures in a lot of ways um connects us kind of to the the greater reality was it challenging uh to you to to write about sexuality and and reper reproductive health um without kind of taking into account your own you know backstory your own history your own kind of sexual reality um because this book isn't mm -hmm. necessarily about your identity isn't about your opinions um it's really a, a tool for for folks who want accurate information and and want to share accurate accurate information and that's what i wanted it to be because i didn't see that there's anything of this type for librarians at all and i want to meet librarians where they are without um you know imposing my own history, my own, um, uh, my own opinions, things like that. Obviously, of course, anybody that writes a book that's infused within the writing is, is, you know, that's impossible to separate. However, I really tried to focus on the facts here, the information, because ultimately, for librarians to, if they are afraid that they're not going to get support from their board or for their administrators, they are going to have to refer to the facts. And they are going to have to refer to, um, procedures and practices that they can lend on. And I, that's what I really wanted from this book. I wanted it to be a toolkit more than anything else. Librarians don't have it. Prior to this, I didn't see anything for librarians to turn to. Yes, there's tons and tons of websites and resources out there, but I didn't see anything that was put together and packaged up. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted this to be something that people could learn, first of all, about basic sexual reproductive health, because a lot of times people, including librarians, they just simply might not be aware of this. They might think, oh, sexual reproductive health, that's being pregnant, right? Like, that's it, right? It's just pregnant and condoms, like, what else? But there's so many layers to it. And so I just wanted to present people with the basic overview about these concepts, how they can integrate it in their collection and how they can um, advocate for it. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Maldro. This is a public affair. We are so fortunate to be joined by Barbara Alvarez, who just wrote the book, The Library's Guide to Sexual and Reproductive Health Information. If you have questions about this book, questions about uh, sexual and reproductive health information, the number is 608-256-2001, extension 9 or you can ask a question via Twitter at WORT Talk or on the Public Affair Facebook page. We want to hear from you. So if you've got questions, there's no bad question. Don't be afraid to give us a call and ask. Before we jive back into our conversation with Barbara Alvarez, I want to give a huge shout out to our team. Our engineer today is Ashley. Our producer is Jade. Our news director is Shelly Pittman. Could not do a public affair without these amazing people who like, you know, make make this happen and huge shout out to the universe for getting Barbara to us on you know during National Library Week um, and on Library Workers Day it's so nice to get to celebrate libraries Mm -hmm. with you you're kind of the perfect person to interview on this Tuesday I I wanted to ask you um, to read a little bit of of this book so that people can get kind of a, a taste of of what this book is all about um, and and what it meant to you to make it or to write it. Yes. Well, thanks for the opportunity to do that. And what I'd like to do is I just like to read a little bit from. Um, it's just two paragraphs. It's from the preface of the book, which really explains why I wrote this book and who it's for, what its intention is. Sexual and reproductive health is something that impacts each and every one of us. It is a common human experience that is part of our, of all of our lived experiences. And yet we are so often socialized to be ignorant or afraid of these concepts. Many of us were raised to not ask questions about sex, feel awkward explaining our sexual or reproductive needs, or feel some sense of shame about our bodies and their natural functions. This inevitably spills into our work as public librarians. Providing information and services about sexual and reproductive health takes a back seat. It's not considered appropriate or it's simply forgotten. Patrons don't know if they can seek out this information at the public library. They fear that they will be ridiculed for doing so or they just don't know where to start. This is an unfortunate and a serious information gap. It's in that spirit that I decided to write a book that I hope will demystify the process of providing sexual and reproductive health information to our public library patrons. I use the word demystify very intentionally as my goal with this book is to bring awareness to these topics, explain why they are important to public libraries and introduce you to resources and strategies for making sexual and reproductive health information an aspect of your library services. I firmly believe that when we educate ourselves about the basics of sexual and reproductive health, we can build stronger collections, create more inclusive services and develop more meaningful community connections and programs. This will translate to improved information access that can empower our patrons and build healthy communities. I, I fully subscribe and believe in like what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, did you ever have moments in which you found it challenging to write this book? Did you ever have moments in which you felt like the area in which you're trying to dive into is so broad and has so much meaning to so many people um how did you decide what was in the book what wasn't um and what what a book like this needed to be yes i did i had to keep coming back to the purpose so those two paragraphs that i just read i had to keep coming back to that otherwise this could um you know really go on and on and on and i think the other aspect that was important for me is to remind the reader and myself that i'm not a doctor i'm an information professional and so this has a really clear scope on um what's presented in the book i'm talking i'm introducing these are different sexual and reproductive health concepts this is the basics about what it is here's resources to learn more but ultimately this is why we can't be neglecting this in our collections and our services or in our communities. And, you know, a lot of this, you know, not a lot, all of it (laughs) is really tied into social justice because um, not providing this information is a real disservice to our communities. And it exasperates barriers that people already have to health to adequate health care and adequate information access. And so I really wanted to stay true to that scope of this is me, an information professional, talking to other information professionals about how they 
can educate themselves more on these topics so that they can improve library services and ultimately the community can benefit from that. Did you ever feel like in writing this book that you had kind of missed the boat on medically accurate information being relevant? I mean, writing this in the wake of of the pandemic where we saw, uh, you know, medical accuracy kind of go out the the window in certain circles. Um, We saw, you know, information around vaccination, which had once been kind of widely accepted, used to divide people um, and become deeply politicized. In some ways, do you feel like that makes your book more relevant? Or do you worry that, you know, our our attachment to medically accurate information right now um, is pretty limited? It's a really, really good question. Um, Yeah, I mean, we could we could have an entire book (laughs) just about um, information and um, health information in general. Like, I mean, we could write all about that and the the huge impact that we've had in the pandemic about this normalization of um, disinformation with with health in regards to health. And I think that we're continuing to see the ramifications of that, not only with vaccines, but certainly with um, sexual reproductive health bills, um, particularly targeting the LGBT. LGBTQ folks, especially trans folks. And it's just, I mean, I saw a stat recently that said, um, you know, we, there used to be like a hundred bill, I think the American Civil Liberties said that there used to be like, you know, a hundred or some um, anti LGBTQ bills a year. And this year we're at four, almost 450. It's so, it's just this normalization of disinformation related to health and then the political politicization of that disinformation. So, um, you know, I don't know if I missed the boat or if it's, um, or if I'm right in the thick of it, to be honest, but whatever, wherever I landed in that whole conversation, I really hope that this book serves as some type of buoy for anybody that needs to, that, that doesn't know what's, what's what, (laughs) like maybe this can be the anchor to digging into what they might be um, about what is in their collection and what conversations are being had in their community. So much of what I loved about reading this book was that this book felt like a reality check. And I felt like in in reading it, I felt like my students were being represented, that the young people I care about um, were, were being championed by you as an advocate for everybody's right to be well-informed. Um, and there are moments in the book where you say things that are really plain and very direct, um, but with just such uh, a, a commitment to accuracy, to a, a, a commitment to, you know, really, um, you know, giving people the, the tools that they need to think critically, giving people the tools that they need um, to explore their own reality. I really appreciate you talking about the book being social justice driven. And you've talked a lot about kind of the attack on trans and non-binary folks that we're seeing in our our political climate across the country. You gave a little shout out to Florida. Um, Florida is not just attacking trans and non-binary folks. Florida created a law for for girls um, in school that basically said you're not allowed to discuss menstruation. Can you talk a little bit about the the feminism of this book, about how this book uh, demystifies what sexual and reproductive health means for women and girls? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I said in the preface, we are taught so so much either um, overtly or subliminally through our culture that our bodies are something to be ashamed of. This is especially true for women and girls, that you're supposed to be embarrassed by your period, that you're supposed to be um, ashamed of your changing body and or your breasts. Um, there's that we have this internalized shame that we couldn't even seek out information. I mean, I can say like when I was a preteen or a teen, I learned a lot of stuff from like magazines because nobody was really talking about it. I mean, I do know my mom gave me like the American girl guide to being, you know, whatever that is, like the puberty book. Heck yeah. Um, But like, yeah, which like 
really was amazing. But super like, helpful <laughs> to this day. Yeah, super helpful book. What? One hundred percent. You know, I remember like my friends. Some of my friends got it too, and we would like talk about like, oh, did you see the chapter about tampons and things like that? Like it was how we learned about it because those were not conversations that we had in school. Um, They really weren't like, it's not, we just were ashamed of it. But even still, like, it's so great that, you know, I got that book. Even still, there was shame with it. I remember being embarrassed in high school because this boy like needed to borrow a pen from my purse and I had a tampon in there and it was like, Oh my gosh, but now he'll know that like I wear tampons that I have a period. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, that we as human beings, but certainly women and girls are taught to be, um, ashamed of our bodies or to hide them or to be afraid of, of our changing bodies, especially. And so, what I'm really trying to do with this book is just normalize these conversations, like normalize that this is like, this is um, why wouldn't we have this in our collection? Why wouldn't we um, talk about menstrual hygiene? Like why, why is that something to be ashamed of when 50% of the population, um, you know, can menstruate? Like, so yes, um, I'm very much about, not just demystifying, but normalizing these conversations, um, destigmatizing them, and just making this a standard practice for information professionals so that patrons know that the library has this information for them. And yes, you can ask for it. Yes, you can access this here too. And I I also think I want to say, just adding on to that, I think is especially important for libraries, particularly public libraries to provide this because there's a lot of schools that don't provide comprehensive sex education. And it's not just private schools, it's also public schools that don't necessarily provide medically accurate sex education or comprehensive sex education. So that means all the more, um, I feel that this is a duty for public libraries. Mm. If you're just tuning in and you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM, I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is A Public Affair, and we're on the air live with Barbara Alvarez, who is the author of the new book, The Library's Guide to Sexual and Reproductive Health Information. It's a great book. I want to encourage you all to check it out. If you have questions about this book, questions about this conversation, or just want to chime in with comments, the number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. We'll patch you through, and you can you know, engage in this dialogue with us. Um, We have a a little note from our engineer, which is I still hide my tampon in my sleeve when I go to the bathroom, right? Like that. Yeah, I I hear that one. Mm -hmm. those, Those messages of shame are so deeply entrenched. And I think that that connects to this conversation about appropriateness, right? If you're taught to be ashamed of something, um, you're taught it's not appropriate, impolite conversation, um, that it's, you know, gross or disrespectful. Uh, I think a lot of the excuse for the the bigotry we're seeing, um, you know, legislated against trans people, the bigotry we're seeing legislated against girls and women is that we're, we're protecting kids. Does your book make it less, uh, make a library a less friendly space for, for young people? How old should should a kid be before they come into contact with accurate information about mm-hmm. sexual and reproductive health, in your opinion, Barbara? Yeah, I mean, there is uh, developmentally appropriate information on sexual reproductive health for all ages, and librarians have uh, you know, criteria for developing their collections, professional standards, unlike people that are out trying to ban books from libraries based on their own ideas on what's harmful, which is really just, you know, their own imposing their own worldview, typically Christian nationalism, white supremacy, hetero- cis heteronormative worldview. Okay, Barbara. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, so that's their standards and they think that libraries should just get rid of anything that doesn't adhere to those standards. Well, public libraries have collection development policies based off of professional standards that they follow. And so sexual reproductive health information is, you know, available for all ages according to, you know, developmentally appropriate practices. And 
I think that that makes the library a safer place for everybody. I mean, if we can have uh, the library be a space where people know that they are welcomed for who they are, for their identity, for their body, um, that they know that this is a place that they can ask questions, that they will be, they will not be judged, that um, that they will not be shamed for who they are. I think that that is what makes the library a safe place for everybody. And um, and I also just going back to this we've been having about women and girls particularly being afraid to talk about their changing bodies that definitely goes into adulthood and now we have adult <laughs> adults who are been indoctrinated their whole lives to not um be able to speak about their bodies talk about uh talk about what they need and you know basic needs <laughs> like i mean I have cramps or, um, you know, I need to go to the bathroom or something like that. This isn't like, you know, basic human needs, bodily needs. Um, and now we have adults who are afraid to speak about that. And that's a huge disservice. I mean, like we should be empowering people to stand up for themselves at young ages. And that includes um, being well informed about the, how their body works and also advocating for their for themselves and for their bodies. Was it challenging to balance the different messages that people who identify as men get about sex versus people who identify as feminine or women get about sex? How did you balance, um, you know, the, the reality is, is that our, our identities are indicators of how people talk about us sexually, about how people sexualize us throughout our lives. Um, where where did you make space in the book to balance that that dynamic? Well, that's a really good point. And I really tried to talk, um, again, sticking to facts. I, I remember there's this one section in the book where I talk about um, menstrual cramps and how um, study, I mean, you know, people who menstruate have long, long, long talked about the pain, how the varying levels of pain that they feel or not wanting to go to work. And it's become a joke, like, oh, are you PMS? Or it, it's just, oh, you're in a bad mood today. What's wrong with you? And even that we've internalized it where we can say, oh, sorry, I'm really weepy. I think I'm just PMSing, um, being dismissive of our own emotions. So I remember I wrote in this book, I, I cited some study that talked about that no, cramps is legitimate pain and it's real pain. And so, and those feelings, those physical feelings and the emotional feelings with it are valid, but we have just been brainwashed essentially to, to not accept that. And so um, I really tried to leave those types of concepts in where just emphasizing like, no, that, that's actually legitimate when people who menstruate feel pain, that's legitimate pain. Um, and I think that's just one example of trying to talk about the facts of what people experience. I think that when you talk about menstruation, you have to talk about kind of this willful desire to not understand menstruation. And I think that's true for pregnancy, too, um, is that there's a lot of people legislating around pregnancy. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, who who are ignoring conversations about menstruation or think conversations are unnecessary around menstruation um, because they don't want to cultivate compassion towards girls, women, non-binary mm -hmm. folks, uh, trans masculine folks who menstruate. Do you feel like this book can can pull in people who maybe you know are are willfully ignorant about the experiences of women and girls people who who you know are not actually interested in engaging with accurate information about those kinds of experiences and that's a great question i can't pretend to predict how people will respond to this book wherever they however they feel about sexual and reproductive health I like to think that people who read this book um, that are ignorant to sexual and reproductive health but not intentionally ignorant um, perhaps they just didn't know 
any, you, perhaps they just genuinely don't understand these concepts or they've always been presented to them in a different way. I'm hopeful that this is eye-opening for them. And also beyond eye-opening for them, I really hope that it just emphasizes like however you personally feel about this, like as a library professional, we still have these professional standards to follow and you should be providing sexual and reproductive health in your collection and your services, regardless of how you personally feel. Like, I hope that I've presented a case that you that you um, understand that this is in alignment with library services and library professional standards. Now, for people that are position um, <laughs> to sexual and reproductive health and um, very much anti a lot of the things that I talk about in the book, particularly abortion and um, trans health, I. I can't, I mean, I, I don't know how they would respond to this. I hope that if anything, um, it plants a seed for them to think about what information that they have accepted as truth. And maybe that, I, I hope if anything, it plants that seed. But mm. of course, I can't really know for sure. I think that this book has a, a lot of potential for for planting seeds in the minds of people who, you know, are open to reading a really interesting, really accurate, very intentionally written book. I, I like to think anybody picking it up probably wants, hopefully wants to genuinely learn about about this, about this intersection with libraries. So I think that's maybe the scary thing about writing a book is that in some ways you maybe know that your audience might be more likely to agree with you, might be uh, more receptive to certain kinds of ideas. Um, let's talk a little bit about librarians. Who who are librarians? Uh, you know, I, I would imagine like librarians are people who love to read. So let's start let's start from there. <laughs> what is it what does it mean to be a librarian? And, you know, how how are your fellow librarians responding to you writing this book? You you kind of giving them this gift of uh, a guide to resources? Well, I have gotten some really great feedback from librarians. I, this is just obviously my uh, own personal feedback. This isn't like, oh, my editor told me that these stats came in from their website or anything like that. This is just my own personal experience. But when I shared that I wrote this book on my LinkedIn, um, I got over 180 responses from that. Now, I like when I post on LinkedIn, if I post something, I'll like, you know, get five thumbs ups or something like that. But I got 180 responses, um, you know, very positive responses. And it was shared 15 times by library professionals. I also and many of the comments on there were like, this is timely. This is what we need. I've gotten personal emails and text messages from librarians who have thanked me for this topic. Um, and not just as a library professional, but as women, some of them who have gone through uh, reproductive health issues as of late, um, personally thanked me for talking about this and openly talking talking about it. So, I mean, librarians, of course, are also humans. And I think the other thing is, uh, it's librarians, it's a largely female profession. I think it's like ALA, it says 87% are women. Now, that means a lot of these topics in this book that I'm talking about, um, you know, regardless of, you know, how people identify men, women, um, non-binary, trans woman, trans man, gender non-conforming, um, there is something in here for everybody. <laughs> and um, like, I would say that the anti-healthcare bills that we have had, the anti-sexual reproductive health bills, they are not just impacting our communities and our patrons, but also the librarians themselves behind the desk. So I also hope that this is helpful for librarians in general as their own human beings. But I want to say, um, when I was doing that survey last year with 179 library, library professionals who responded to it, it was really interesting. I included some free response. Like, you know, after I asked people do you provide this in your collection? Do you do these type of programming? I got several responses that said, thank you for doing the survey. I never thought about this before until I took this survey. Now I'm going to have a conversation with my manager. Or I honestly 
I hadn't considered it before, but this survey has me rethinking our services. So I've gotten that type of feedback too, which I really think is pretty fantastic. Um, I don't even remember the question you were asking, but I hope that that is So that. I was asking who are librarians and you told us you were like 80%, yeah. 87% of them are women. You talked about mm -hmm. like kind of how they've responded to this book. Um, for, for folks who are yeah. not yeah. librarians, which is many of us out here in these streets, we are not librarians and yet we are still people who need to have a firm understanding of sexual and reproductive health. What would you say to somebody who thinks this book is not for them because they're not a librarian. Yeah, well, that's a great point. Obviously, it says the library's guide, but I think that this could be read by anybody. Um, I mean, I agree. shout out to my shout out to my husband who read it like with a glass of wine, too, which I thought was like, oh, thanks for the support, honey. <laughs> um, so you know, actually, in some respects, that's really helpful to know, like, what do people who are non-library li library professionals think about this? Because these are ultimately the services and the collections that are going to um, impact them. But I think that this is applicable to anybody. Um, it talks, the other thing I want to mention to answer this question in the previous one, it talks about reproductive justice. Mm. Reproductive justice is a framework that um, has been around for decades, if not centuries, but the reproductive justice was officially coined in 1994 by a group of black women activists, advocates, and experts in healthcare who, you know, had felt, and rightfully so, that the conversation about reproductive health in the United States had centered white middle-class women and had not included the very real experiences of communities of color, um, indigenous people, trans folks, and I think also that's important for this, for two things, for the library profession, because as I said, it's overwhelmingly women, but it's also overwhelmingly white. I believe the American Library Association has stats that it's like 83 to 87% white. So the reproductive justice framework is embedded within this book. I do an entire section about it to make sure that people realize like, that we and I talk about biases in this book and um, how to confront your biases and especially related to sexual reproductive health, but that the people um, that healthcare in this country and information to healthcare is already so limited, but that is exasperated for um, communities of color, for the LGBTQ community, and has been historically. Um, for rural communities, for low people with low incomes. And so I think that's really, really important as a social for social justice that as librarians center that. Now for the reader, the land library professional, I also think that that's a really important framework to be aware of because that can help you a lot in conversations that you have with people that are either for or against this conversation of pro and anti. Reproductive justice is not saying pro or anti, it is for bodily autonomy, the right to have children, to not have children, and to raise your children in safe communities. That means that we're not just talking about, oh no, I'm against abortion, or yes, I am for abortion. It's We're, we're going beyond that. <laughs> we're talking about the environment. We're talking about living wages. We're talking about um, the prison industrial complex. We're talking about um, healthy food and access to that. So clean water, education. So I hope that that also comes across to the reader. It absolutely does. And that's why everybody should read this book. We talked a little bit about Florida right here on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Ali Maldrow. This is A Public Affair. Today we're talking with Barbara Alvarez, who is the author of the new book, The Library's Guide to Sexual and Reproductive Health Information. Was you you wrote this book in in Wisconsin in this context? Um, Wisconsin is a state where abortion is a felony, um, and and more so than having an abortion, uh, supporting somebody who's having an abortion or helping somebody to get an abortion. Which I'm like, maybe your book could be considered at some point supporting people in navigating that reproductive choice. The other thing about Wisconsin is Wisconsin is a. Uh, a state that believes in uh, local control when it comes to sexual health. Um, and so we have a great number of school districts across the state that are abstinence only uh, school school districts where you actually have no uh, conversation about sexuality or sexual or reproductive health outside of um, not 
not engaging in 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 sex what what does it feel like to author a book like this in this context at this time um in in this kind of local moment for for us as folks in wisconsin well i think that i feel very honored that i get to do that that i get to introduce this book at this really unfortunate moment in time um obviously i wish that it, it wasn't what it is right now in Wisconsin or in the country, but because it is, I'm really grateful that this is a book that can hopefully inspire action amongst library professionals and beyond that within communities and hopefully help us come up with ways that we can respond to this, I don't want to say moment in crisis because it's been a crisis for quite a long time, but certainly this crisis that we're enduring. Do you think that your book will get banned? Do you think that because your your book is inclusive, because your book is affirming of the trans community, because your book is uh, accurately depicting abortion and the options around abortion, um, that it'll become incredibly popular in part because people will not want folks to have access to it? Um, you know, stranger things have happened. I know, for example, in Texas, there's the uh, a, a library um, library officials or county officials excuse me removed um, books a, a book series like a kids book series called I Need a New Butt I don't know it's like I don't even really know what it's about but it's not like harmful but they've removed books that they deem harmful I mean back in Florida didn't a, a parent complain about their child learning about Ruby Bridges who was the child to desegregate the schools in new in new orleans i mean that's history like they're that's facts and so they're removing books that are facts and also books that are not controversial at all <laughs> um or what anybody could deem to be harmful so i don't know perhaps stranger things have happened and there's really no way of knowing right now there i there's um in texas and missouri there have been bills that would ban libraries from allowing people to look up websites that talk about abortions. So, of course, I'm sure, you know, that's in the realm of possibility then about my book. I think your book is good enough to get banned. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, it would be like a badge of honor. Yes, I'm ready. I'm rooting for you in every single way, including in the in the banned book kind of way. Um, can we Can we talk a little bit about this idea that information is dangerous. Um, I've I've been circulating this post that's like never in the the history, never in recorded history, has a kid picked up their dad's loaded book and killed their sister. Um, why why are we censoring books, banning books? Why are we so afraid of information about sexuality and reproductive health? Um, in a, in a country that that has a, a massive issue with with gun control, what what is when you listen to people talk about banning books or when you when you read about these things, do you find yourself struggling to understand where people are coming from, or do you find yourself you know finding people sinister alternate alter, ulterior motive? Like what what is it like for you um, to be an expert in information at a time when you know, information is used to intimidate people or is uh, mm -hmm. used in, in ways that make people think information is da dangerous, that it's dangerous to be well-informed? Well, I think it starts in really small pieces. Now, this is, uh, this is completely benign and um, something that is seemingly like non, does not have an impact, but I just want to introduce my response with this with this quote. So I've worked in public libraries in two, two different states, five different libraries. My first job was in youth services. Um, so I've worked with a lot of parents who want their kids to have books. Now, sometimes the parents will say like, oh, but they keep reading these books. They have, they're such a, they're, they can read at a higher reading level than this. Why do they keep reading this? Or why are they reading graphic novels? Those aren't hard enough. They need to read hard books or they have just been like on this book 
for they're like obsessed with dinosaurs they've been reading about dinosaurs for six months they need to switch it up a little like they have to explore other things now none of those parents have bad intentions they want their kid to read they want them to be enriched they want them to grow like i understand that but i do think sometimes it just starts in um in trying to control like our reading habits as, as an adult for example like there are some books where i'm like oh like that's a quote-unquote trashy book like that's a beach read i i need to read something intellectual to counter that like it's just these normalized ways of us to, to deeming some information unworthy or lesser than than other information now obviously that gets that gets heightened to the state where we are where books are banned or deemed to be dangerous this is my take on it um and i know that this is also in alignment with library professionals and ala reading is good <laughs> reading is good for you and it introduces people to other worlds, other people, other concepts. And the other thing is people's reading evolves. So like to the parents who are like, but my kid's been reading about dinosaurs for six months. Are they only read about graphic novels? Well, you know, I don't know, maybe they're gonna be a paleontologist one day, or maybe this is like their thing right now. And then they'll get into something else. Like I know for me, there's some books that I read, like when Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg came out in 2012, I was all like, yeah, and now I'm like, Mm, no but like you know it evolves it changes and so reading in itself is a portal and to deny people the opportunity to read is extremely dangerous and even more dangerous than that is to assume what people are going to do with the books that they read or the information that they read like that's a core component of intellectual freedom is not making assumptions on what somebody is going to do with this like i mean people have a variety of reasons for reading what they want to read and um I, we should be fostering that of course banning these books it's only promoting ignorance um it is not promoting um it's not promoting community building by any means because it isn't allowing us to relate to other people and much less ourselves or understand ourselves so I think there's also beyond the intellectual freedom aspect, big social ramifications. Barbara, thank you so much for for talking about kind of this this conversation about whether or not information is dangerous. This conversation around you know what books are are being banned and what information people are being kept away from. What is something that you learned while you were writing this book? I think a lot of us, you know. I think when you're talking about sex, there is a, a sense that like we all have our own kind of internal information, the things that we know are important to us, the things we like, don't like, our own relationship to our sexuality and reproductive health, our own, you know, exploration of birth control or contraceptive. Are there things that in researching for this book, in in writing this book that you were surprised by that you were like, whoa, I was today years old when I found out what? Well, I have to admit, um, when I was working on a chapter for um, about LGBTQ health, I I was pretty startled about reading the um, about that it was illegal to have same sex marriage uh, until not that long ago, and also another one about it was illegal for Congresswomen to wear skirts and dresses on the Congress floor until the 90s. So I think just seeing some of those cases, and, and in that respect, it shows how we have a lot to, a long way to go to be sure. But I think also it's like, oh, wow, I didn't, I, I couldn't imagine a time where you know, I couldn't, where a Congresswoman or a Congressperson couldn't wear a skirt or a dress. They had to wear pants. Um, or you can have same sex marriage. Now I knew about, or excuse me, I knew about same sex marriage, but actually same sex uh, intercourse. I don't know if I misspoke earlier. It, yes, I knew. I actually the, feel like I knew what you meant and was gonna. Thank you. Yes. I knew. Obviously, I was there. I was in San Francisco, 2015, in June, when the Supreme Court uh, made same sex uh, protect federal protections amazing. It was the same sex um, intercourse that I didn't that was new for me yeah that it was um, it was illegal and people went to prison like Bayard Rustin they spent did. four years in prison for engaging in same-sex relations uh with another adult with another consenting adult man in the privacy of their own home like they were in a car 
Okay, well, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> still, it's just like, and th so there's things there that, um, it was like, it just, writing it out, it just really underscores, like, holy moly. Um, now, the other thing I want to say that it was learning for me was adding in a section about sexual pleasure. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Let's talk about it. I, I, that wasn't something that I initially was including because I admittedly didn't think to include that. And I think that speaks a lot to how we have been trained and indoctrinated to think of sexual reproductive health. Not only is this shameful in secret, we don't talk about this, we certainly don't ask about it, or you know, we don't provide it in the collection, but also we don't enjoy ourselves. And so I remember speaking to my editor, we were having a conversation and I was like, I, I don't know how it came about, but all of a sudden we started talking about sexual pleasure, like that should be incorporated in the book. And I think that that speaks also that sexual reproductive health is not just about um, pregnancy and abortion and prostate health and all those types of things. It's get it prostate health. <laughs> it's also about enjoying oneself and feeling safe. Um, and I did write about sexual harassment and sexual abuse, but it was the pleasure piece that I realized I have to include that. And it wasn't one of the first things that I thought to include in this book. And I think that speaks a lot to the state of our country. Who did you look to to inform that work, that work around, you know, including pleasure? Because you've got you've got Adrian Marie Brown's pleasure activism. You've got mm -hmm. but it's not it's not a, a, a widespread phenomena that we acknowledge that the vast majority of the time people have sex or hook up or whatever the kids are calling it these days. Um, mm -hmm. They're doing it for fun. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest, what I had consulted, but they, I do provide um, a list of resources within there about sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. And also not just sexual pleasure with a partner, but sexual pleasure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I'm those are the things that I learned while writing the book, uh, just underscoring about uh, the discriminatory laws that we have had and that it wasn't that long ago and also just my own oh yeah sexual pleasure that's part of sexual reproductive health that needs to be included I have loved having this opportunity to talk to you and you know I would talk to you forever I would have you back a million times Barbara um but before you go I want people to know the book is the library's guide to sexual and reproductive health information by Barbara Alvarez Barbara what do you hope people take away from this book? What do you hope putting this book out into the world does? Um, well, I really hope that if anything, this is a step towards normalizing sexual reproductive health, not vilifying it, not making it something shameworthy, certainly not politicizing it. I hope that as I read from those two chapters that we can recognize that this is something every single person experiences and that instead of running away from it, hiding it, banning it, being ashamed of it, that we have open conversations about sexual reproductive health and that as library professionals, we uphold that within our collections and our services. Barbara Alvarez, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Huge shout out to our engineer, uh, Ashley. Huge shout out to our producer, Jade. Huge shout out to our news director, Shelly Pittman. Barbara, anytime you want to talk about sex, come hang out with us at WORT 89.9 <laughs> FM. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded With information that will never be reported Disregard the mainstream, media distorted We come and listen and support